When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ready. Play. Hello, everybody. Um... We've got a special episode today, um, one of many that we're doing right now in uh, sort of during the off season on both the men's and the women's side, looking back at some of the most memorable, fantastic and sensational matches of the year. And this one uh, was a very easy one to add among the list. Some are a little bit more contentious, but I think very few would disagree with this choice. And it's quite simply the... Well, let's let's listen to what today's episode is. If you're not quite sure, having already clicked on the YouTube link, this is what today's episode is going to be about. It's the miracle in Melbourne. And the person who said those words was there in the arena and the Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne at the time. And I'm really pleased to welcome him to today's episode. Mark Petchy. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. I hope that uh, you can re- remember this match quite clearly and uh, the various bits about it. I mean, it's co- obviously been spoken about over the last nine, ten months quite a lot, but I'm sure it's going to be spoken about for many years to come. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question that it's kind of one of those matches where, you know, when it started... Um, you kind of got a sense already in like the third game that it was going to be pretty special when you actually go back and and sort of remember just how tough it was for Rafa in the opening kind of you know three games just to hang on to his serve you knew that obviously Daniel was coming out he he felt confident he'd obviously won the US Open and there were a lot of different things in play we obviously had seen Rafa throughout the course of the tournament change return stance how was he going to be able to handle Daniel's kind of serving and that was obviously a big part of the match in the first couple of sets and and obviously Rafa's foot um, as the match went on there was a lot of you know little subplots within the kind of overall match that we were all wondering and and they were kind of unknown knowns you know as as the match went on which made it even more thrilling Mark I'm really glad that you mentioned his foot because I think 
Uh, listen, you could argue that there was a 20-year build-up, never mind a 20 grand slam yeah. build-up for Rafa and, and obviously a few years for, for, for Medvedev. But I want to take us back seven months, uh, really, and, and probably even a bit less. Let's go back to August when he's limping around the courts of Washington. And just afterwards, Rafa released this video. Hello, everyone. I am very sorry to, to announce that I will not be able to to keep playing tennis during the 2021 season. But as you know, I have been suffering uh, too much with my foot for the last uh, for the last year now. I, I missed uh, a lot of important events for me, uh, like, like the US Open now, like Wimbledon, Olympics, uh, and many other events. What were your thoughts, Mark, around this point, sort of mid-summer last year? Of course, we, we remember him as well, you know, with this image of him at the French Open. Throughout that six months, did you think that maybe his career was coming to an end? Could you imagine him playing in Melbourne and could you imagine him going on to lift the trophy? No, uh, you know, the, the reality about the foot is obviously unless you're in the camp and unless you're a medical kind of doctor, you kind of don't know what interventions are possible at that particular stage. But for somebody like Rafa, who has had so many injuries over the course of his career, you kind of get yourself into that sense where you always feel as though he's going to be able to bounce back. You're never quite sure how long it's going to take, but it's just been, you know, part of his allure, part of his greatness has been his, his ability to overcome not just adversity in matches, but adversities with his body as well. So I guess all of us are kind of somewhat fooled into feeling as though he was going to be able to come back at some stage. We'd obviously had the resurgence of Roger when obviously it had been a long time since Wimbledon 2012 before he won the next Australia in 2017 in dramatic fashion. And there are a lot of things in play with these great players that you kind of sometimes forget just just how close they are perhaps to the brink and, and close to the end. So, you know, the way that Rafa started in Melbourne was just phenomenal. Uh, the way that he built into Australian Open in the first couple of rounds by playing kind of a traditional sort of, you know, just get me in the tournament from behind, I'm going to beat you with my feet, to then changing his game, getting through against Shapovalov. You know, it, it, it was building. The, the tournament was building at that particular stage. But I think all of us thought that it was a long shot that he could possibly win the Australian Open. And even more so when he was down a couple of sets, obviously, in the final. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was another player involved. I'm sure that some people can easily forget, but but not his fans. Um, let's talk about Medvedev and, and his situation going into the final. Um what were your thoughts? I mean, he had a uh, he'd had a great so contrasting to to Rafa, his six months couldn't have been any different. I mean, I know he didn't quite cap it off with an ATP Finals win, but he had an incredible run against highly ranked players. He was in the Paris Bercy final, but of course, even more importantly than that, he'd won the U.S. Open in straight sets over Novak Djokovic, and he'd also had a, an, an eventful, but also a very high level, if you like, en route to the Australian Open final. So did that also add to the sense going into the match that this was Medvedev's to lose and that Rafa was was going to struggle? I don't think at the start of the match that that was the case, no. Okay. I don't think it was Medvedev's to lose at the start of the match, no. I mean, as you said, it had a, it had a pretty sort of, you know, interesting run through to the final. And I think, obviously, from, from that point of view... Um, you know, you, you kind of wonder, but, you know, at his stage of his career, um, with his level of fitness, with his level of confidence, having won in New York as well, and the way that he had played incredibly well and blocked out everything against Novak as well, obviously, um, in the Big Apple, 
I don't think too many of us were too concerned. In fact, I think many of us felt as though that was going to be something that was going to be hugely beneficial to him in terms of the fact that he had actually won a major. I mean, so mm-hmm. often the big four have been going up when it did happen against somebody that, that hadn't been in that kind of situation before. So that was always a huge advantage for them. So, you know, Daniel is one of, you know, is, is an unbelievable professional. And, you know, having been around a few of these guys and you know how hard they work and you know the X's and O's that they're putting in, the uh, dotting the I's, crossing the T's with fitness, didn't really feel as though that that was going to be necessarily a significant factor. It proved to be, obviously, as the, as the match unfolded, that, that Rafa was able to take enough energy out of Daniel's legs that obviously, you know, the first serve started dropping away a little bit, but also just his ability to play the long rallies that he'd had done so effectively over the first couple of sets. Mark, I'm really glad you point that out because at this juncture as well, the narrative going into the match was uh, partly perhaps because Rafford obviously had that five-setter we remember against Shapovalov and how much he was struggling in the fifth set there. There was the age, there was the foot that we've already touched upon. But the narrative I remember strongly going into the, met, into the match was, first of all, uh, Medvedev was the favourite, not necessarily overwhelming. You know, the other guy on the other side of the net has won 20 majors before, yeah. in, including in Australia 13 years before and been in many finals there as well. So it wasn't like, you know, overwhelming. This was the pre-match predictor. I don't know how much, if that's how you felt about the match, sort of 60-40, 65-35. Um, but there was a second narrative, and I want you to address that as well, which was that if Rafa was to win, if there was that 36% chance of him winning, let's say, it was going to be done in straight sets or absolutely four sets at the most. Because if it went five, the narrative was that that's when Medvedev would pull away. Did you agree with either or both of those narratives? Yeah, I think at the start of the match with uh, the unknowns around how much training Rafa had been able to do because of the foot, that was obviously something that we were all kind of wondering. I mean, and and I think rightly so. I mean, it, it wasn't a normal situation for, for Rafa to go into that kind of swing down in Australia, you know, but... Obviously, as Carlos had said, you know, even just going to play in Abu Dhabi in the exhibition, it just allowed, you know, Rafa to start feeling like a tennis player again. He said for mm-hmm. a long period after the Washington, you know, pull out and then go saying that he, he's got to take that time off. He said he just didn't even feel like a tennis player. So mentally, just being back on court against his contemporaries was a big thing for him when he went to the Middle East. Um, but obviously, just from the way that Carlos was talking, you're feeling like, wow, this guy has not been able to kind of be able to to put in the kind of preparation that he would like to, regardless of anything else, just that he would like to to be able to get on court. Um, obviously, some of that fell away in Melbourne in the 250 when he won it, because obviously mm-hmm. you could see that the tennis was that was pretty close. But then you obviously take into the fact that you've got to play best of five and uh, and all of those things. That you know that's that's where that's where obviously you know these these great players and Rafa in particular have just found a way. But if you were to ask anyone at the start of the match if it went to five who it was going to favour. The argument would have definitely been it was going to favour Daniel. And uh, obviously, as it turned out, that wasn't the case. Over the course of the next two hours, let's say, um, if there was a 60-40 favouritism towards Medvedev going into the match, that, of course, increased. But even probably as early on as the first four games, which were shared, but I remember your co-commentators were saying, um, you know, this is just not sustainable. I've got a, an image on the screen right now of a point that Rafa did incredibly win. I remember images of him with his sweat. You know, he's he's going love 30 down. In this particular game, he's going to juice in both of the games. I think he faced a break point or two as well. 
And Medvedev was just breezing through. I think the first 20 minutes of the match, it seemed like Nadal was serving for 17, 18 minutes. Uh, Medvedev had served for a minute. And the other time they were sat in the chair. Um, did you also have a similar feeling to your co-commentators that some of the incredible stuff that Nadal was pulling out, like this particular shot, which I still to this day don't know how he won it. Did you just think as well, this is not sustainable as well at this juncture? Yeah, I mean, I, that was sustainable for 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 Daniel. That was the thing, and it just didn't look at that stage that Rafa was going to be able to kind of find a way uh, mid match to be able to find something that was going to change the tide of some, a lot of the rallies that were going. You know, mm -hmm. it was always going to take something very unique to break the sort of the stranglehold of the big four. You know, we talk about who was going to come through. Daniel was the kind of perfect prototype for that massive server and a guy that returns quantity of balls to good length. Um, and he was always good. And, and that has all that has definitely proved to be something that's it's very problematic, even for these great players to get past. And as you say, and, uh, uh, you know, it was incredibly difficult at the start of the match to see what Rafa was going to attempt to do. He probably started the match to be on. I mean, there was, as I said, there was a game, I think it was 2-1 um, in the, or to get to 2-1 in the opening set, he was down love 30 on his serve, even that game, he pulled out two incredible points. And mm -hmm. and I remember Brad Stein and, and John Fitzgerald, who I was commentating with, we were like, well, you know, that's just to hang in there. This is to hang into his serve, on his serve, let alone trying to break Medvedev yeah. at this stage. He probably, went inside in a little bit too much with his forehand at the start of the match. He probably tugged it a little bit too much into Daniel's backhand. As you, as you watch the match go through, there was definitely more inside out, which then opened up the inside in for when he did want to go to it. Um, he hit a lot of slice backhands um, early on, I think probably a little bit deeper than he did as the match uh, continued as well, because Daniel hits the ball flat, didn't want to give him any pace. So that was a tactic that obviously um, Rafa, as the match was going on, he started drilling his backhand way harder um, as mm -hmm. the match went on as well. Yeah. There was some there were some big changes um, that Rafa was able to implement, and and particularly the drop shot and the forehand drop shot, arguably was one of the big game changes of the whole match. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the slice was a tactic he used quite a bit in New York uh, a couple of years before, three years before. And yep. um, I, I think it was far more effective in the first couple of sets that day than it was in Melbourne. Of course, the narrative there was slightly different with, with Rafa taking the lead in New York, and it was very different in Australia. I remember at the end of the first set, I was listening back to some of your commentary as well from, you know, just the other day I was listening to it. And um, I don't know if you can see these stats, but pretty much off the top of our head, we remember how the first set went. It was 6-2. It was, you know, even the two games that Nadal won, he was, you know, you know, just about held on. Total points, 31-17, tells a story all of itself. And and four aces to love as well on, on, in, in favour of Medvedev. Yep. Um, you said at this point that it had, in your commentary live, it had echoes of the Novak-Nadal final of 2019 when we all remember how Novak just, you know, thrashed yep. uh, Rafa, really. Um Again, thoughts at this point, you know, I guess it's just just enforced the, the favour towards Medvedev, right, Medvedev? 
Yeah, I mean, look, at this stage, you know, the first two sets for, for Daniel, he served over 80% first serves in. I mean, he served uh -huh. at 82 and 81%. I mean, you know, against anyone, he's going to he's gonna be pretty difficult to beat unless you can get get it to a tiebreaker when you're serving in those kind of numbers. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's sort of unplayable in terms of the way that he plays because then he's going to kind of try and boss you off the returns as well by getting into a lot of rallies. So, you know, that... That those first two sets were were crucial for many ways. We saw how well Daniel Heaney couldn't have played any better. That they, if you're looking for a positive from Rafa at this particular stage, you know he he probably couldn't play it any better. And Rafa could have served ultimately for the for the set. He served for the second set, didn't close yeah. it out. Obviously had his chances, but he also took two hours and six minutes out of Daniel's legs. And at the time, everything's beautiful in hindsight, but in, at the time, we didn't realize necessarily how important that particular stat was in terms of just because of how hard you have to move against Rafa dynamically um, and the route, obviously, and how Daniel was feeling out there, that was something that ultimately became into play. So at the start of the match, had he lost those opening two sets in the same fashion that he lost the first one, he probably would have been out of there in three or yeah. probably four in terms of the energy that, that Daniel would have had. But as the match went on and he lost energy, obviously Daniel's tactics had to change to kind of compensate for his loss of physical conditioning to some degree. It's perfect at the moment. We're having one segue after another. I'm really <laughs> pleased you mentioned the energy because I want to bring up that second set, which I do think now in hindsight we can look back on in just of how energy sapping it was for Medvedev. None more so probably than the 40-shot rally, which you describe <laughs> as outrageous at midpoint of the second set, that actually, although Nadal doesn't win this set and he had his chances to do so, which you highlighted, perhaps this was the beginning of the turning point, particularly in terms of, of Medvedev's energy. Uh, Rafa goes up a break in this set. He's 4-1 up actually at one point and he's yeah. looking good. Medvedev gets that break back. It's not looking good, if you like, for Rafa in terms of momentum. Rafa does what he can only only he can possibly do, maybe Novak too, and rest back the momentum. And then he's serving. So this is just that forty shot rally, which was just yeah. how he won. It was insane. And some of the some of the expressions of, of celebration though from Rafa were kind of you know normally you'd get a big fist bump from him, but during the first set and a half, it was sort of relief or or, or tiredness as well from Rafa. When he was, it was not until sort of midpoint of the third set when he starts celebrating in big style. But we'll come to the third set in a minute. Uh, and you mentioned how he was serving it out, and the worst moment really of that point when he's serving it out is the first point he gets in a nigh on perfect serve. Medvedev does extremely well to get his racket on it, but it's he lets it bounce. And you can I don't know if you can see how close he is to the net here, but from memory, yeah. I'm sure you remember. I mean, how he missed that, and it had echoes of when, when with the smash he did a year before. There's quite a few echoes from other matches and yep. we'll be coming to those when he put a smash into the net against City Pass. What's it like? I don't know, Mark, if you've had matches when you've you know served out sets but not managed to do it, tried to serve out matches or been breaks up. How demoralizing for most mere mortals, and I hope you don't mind me calling you a mere mortal, Mark. I am definitely a mere mortal, yes. <laughs> <laughs> how, how is it? How demoralizing can it be when that doesn't quite go to plan? Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously hugely, hugely demoralizing, particularly in a final of a, of a major where you're looking to try and win it for the second time. And you've had some heartbreakers over the years as well. I mean, those are the things that obviously has scar tissue that Rafa has to put out of his mind in these moments when things suddenly start to go against him in this final. You know, he's absolutely desperate to win the Australian Open for a, a second time. And, 
you know, join Novak in that particular category. And so there's there's an awful lot that's going on in that situation. And obviously for somebody as good as him to eventually that that he missed in those kind of moments, that was that they were painful. But there were, you know, as uh, in that particular game, obviously, and when he had the set point, he missed a routine slice backhand. Again, another shot that, you know, Rafa makes in his sleep that he doesn't make. But And it goes to show that, you know, there is there is this sort of compound effect of pressure as, as you're set down that just makes it a little bit more difficult to be as efficient, even in the breaker. You know, he's he's in that sort of situation and he's sort of unable to make a routine volley when he's up in the breaker to put it away. Daniel comes back and then Medvedev throws in an unexpected drop shot. These things are happening at warp speed out there. Um, and yet somehow you've got to kind of try and put it to, to one side and and I, and I guess this is why it will go down as one of the greatest achievements for Rafa. That the fact was that he had all those chances as well um, at the back end of the second set, and yet still somehow ended up holding the trophy after over five hours. Yeah, an echo again with the City Pass match from the quarterfinal. Not just the smash he put into the net, but also there was a shank uh, in this particular game. And I remember him shanking as well against City Pass and, and also having a mini breakup against City Pass in 2021, having a mini breakup again in that tie break that you just touched upon. And then the shot that, again, I've got up on the on the screen now of Medvedev's backhand winner was almost also the tail of the first couple of sets, the backhand down the line, which we know Rafa can sometimes be vulnerable with. Um, given the amount of space he sort of allows on his forehand side sometimes, particularly against Novak. Um, you know, and then, you know, it's a worldie. It's an absolute worldie for Medvedev to use a footballing parlance, yep. if I can. And it's now two sets to love. And, you know, is there any way back realistically? Of course, there's going to be another junk. There's going to be one more juncture. It's actually going to get worse for Rafa before it gets yep. better. But But at this point, it's still pretty bad, right? I mean, it's, at this stage, it looks pretty tough. I mean, uh, you know, at that stage, I think all three of us, Brad, Fitzy and myself, were feeling like, well, how does he how does he pull this around um, from this situation, given how well sort of Daniel's played? And also just from the fact that we were still obviously sitting in the unknown camp of, of how much energy is he going to have? How much cardio could he do? How long can he stay out here competitively? Um, how much has the foot kind of halted the progress in terms of that part of it? Obviously, what you need to take care of. So, you know, that this is the worst possible scenario for him. And as he jumps out at the start of the third set and he's, uh, he has a little bit of an, a nibble first game of, against mm -hmm. Medvedev, but then he's loved 30 down in his first service game of the second yeah. set. So he's two sets yeah. to love down. He's one love. He's loved 30 down. Mm -hmm. And then he wriggles out of that game. And, and I guess we're going to get on to the point that everybody knows. Yeah, we are. Exactly. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for halting because again, nicely set up there. Um, you know, we, we're now at love 30 on his serve at two, three, I think it is. And, and we'll, we'll yep. come to the love 40 in a second. And I, so I'm this just was gonna... a big smash at love 30, right? And the, the a point, like another point he should have won. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it was a tricky one. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Let's just uh, have a look at sort of 15, 20 seconds here of, of this particular point. And maybe even this. Yeah, I mean, this point, I mean, that was th this this for me was kind of indicative of how the night had been going for Rafa. I mean, doesn't do an awful lot, but airtime for Medvedev um, and just crushes the backhand down the line. At that particular point, you think, well, you know, Rafa with the overhead, just a stunning get from Daniel. And and the writing at this particular point feels like it's on the wall. Well, 
you said at that point, that surely is the decisive point, the defining moment. Medvedev. Shows what got, I know. Yeah, I know. Well, listen, I think your co-commentators, uh, I just, I, I must give them a, a mention at this point. In fact, you can give them a mention because they were, they played a part, of course, in your commentary booth. Yeah, Brad Stein and uh, uh, Fitzy. I, I think Brad said something along the lines like he's just about to to nail the lid on the coffin here or something. Exactly. I can't remember said, exactly what it was, but I've it was something it. along those lines. I've got it all down. Listen, I think, listen, we'll come back to your commentary at the end of the the, the, the show as well, but I, I don't want to... Uh, you know, uh, praise you too much, Mark. But I do think that the commentary from you and your, your colleagues, Brad Stein and John Fitzgerald, um, I think needs to be something that's mentioned. I mean, this the, the video's got like almost 3 million views on, on YouTube. Uh, the match is 10 months old. So in another 10 years, that will probably go up, you know, a, a lot, let's say. Um, and, and, and also, of course, that's not including Eurosport views. That's not including the millions and maybe a lot more than that that were watching live at the time uh, in English. The the commentaries that you gave um, will be the memories from the fans. Um, you, the, the expressions like decisive point, defining moment, miracle in Melbourne, we've already mentioned it. As you said as well, Medvedev's got the hammer and nails out and, yeah. and about to put the lid on the coffin. Um, I think that may well be Brad who said that, but apologies if it was John or, or maybe, maybe... No, it, it was, was Brad. It was no, Brad, it, yeah. it was definitely Brad, yeah. And so I think he said he said in the fifth set something along the line. He's like, he's just taken the lid off. That's exactly what he said. That's (laughs) exactly what he said. And listen, Mark, I mean, you you were there and uh, but I'm telling you now and I I think I speak for hundreds of thousands and maybe many more fans that the the these comments, you know, if Rafa gets 99 percent of the plaudits and rightly so. and, And maybe Medvedev played his part as well. Maybe they can share some of that. But the memories will will also be augmented, let's say that, by by some of the commentary, whether it was wildly wrong after two and a half yep. sets or, or not. Because as we said, back to the match, at Love 40, that image I showed of 96-4, by the way, that yep. it, it got worse after that because that image, a lot of people remember that 96-4, but that was actually a couple of games before. And now it's Love 40. What are your memories? I mean, of course, it's 10 months. And so, and also sometimes the memories could improve with watching the videos. But can you remember what, I mean, you've said what you thought at the time, but can you remember anything else that you were thinking? Were you a bit embarrassed even for Rafa at this point? Because I had I had friends that are, are casual observers of tennis. They know Rafa, they know Djokovic, they know um, Federer. They know how good they are. They, they're texting me and I, and I didn't even respond because I just thought yeah. they don't know what the, they said. Oh, what's going wrong with Rafa? And I thought, well, this wasn't a, a strong possibility. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, the thing is at this stage, it could have been once at all. I mean, you, 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 I mean, it's that that's what I'm thinking. Well, it could have been once at all. But obviously, having battled through his first service game of this third set, and then he's sitting at love 40 um, at 3-2 at this particular stage. I mean, you can't help but feel as though you know, this, this, this is done. You know, it's so rare to come back from two sets to love against another 
player as good as Medvedev, who's in the top 10. I mean, you just need to go back and look at all of these guys' records, you know, and look at how decisive even the first set is in terms of where the outcome goes. I mean, you're up in the 80% sort of bracket of matches that will always go that way, you know, mm -hmm. if you're not getting pretty close to 90%, two sets to love down. Um, you know, again, it, it just takes it to a whole different sphere. And then on top of that, you've got this situation that's developed at 3-2 Love 40 and the way that Daniel's played and he's won a major and he's beaten Novak, who had been unbeaten in majors at the start, you know, for the whole of last year. I mean, everything at that particular point is converging to this is going to be Daniel's night here in Melbourne. And, and, and there's not a lot that Rafa can do about it. It's not that he's playing poorly. It's just that he hasn't at that particular stage, found a consistent pattern of play um, that, that's winning the points and Daniel's able to sort of outlast him. He's doing enough net rushing, Daniel, to keep Rafa off balance. Um, and, and really at that particular point, he was the better player and he deserved to be in the situation um, that he was in. And then cue the Rocky music. Yeah, exactly. Cue the Rocky music indeed. And this is the third, I think this is the fourth point that, so this is the fourth, or oh, third break point, sorry, that, that Rafa saved, which is also pretty sensational. We've got an interesting caption here. I don't, I don't know if you can see it on the screen where actually it's one that we started to see a bit more often um, as the match wore on with kind of Medvedev caught in no man's land. Um, yeah. But I think that Medvedev feels very comfortable at the back of the court. And then there's moments when perhaps m m many players would attack the net or just move towards the net, but he sort of doesn't really know what to do. And I think his mind yeah. become frazzled, but but I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that. I mean, Nadal still played some sensational points in this game to get out of jail, basically. I mean, he played unbelievable. I mean, go back to, go back. I mean, we obviously can't see the love 40 point here, but if you go back to the love 40 point, it's a forehand drop shot winner from Rafa at that yeah. stage. You know, it was a, as a shot that he played at break point at four, three in the second set down when he got to five, three, couldn't serve yeah. it out. But it was a shot that suddenly he realized that was going to have to be massively, um, you know, important to him. The second one of these points, because it was ingrained, was a backhand that was overhit from Daniel. It was the yeah. first time, I think Brad said at the time, actually, looking like he's just just sort of overplayed from the from, at that particular point he says you know maybe just a bit anxious and then that point there was obviously a bit of a throw in drop shot from Medvedev that'll work beautifully at five ball in the breaker in the second set uh, caught Rafa off but of course when you play a shot like that what you do do is just in, instill it in your opponent's mind and somebody as great as Rafa that hey another big point coming he may go to that particular play and he went to that play at 34 30 40 and obviously Rafa got up there and just made a beautiful little flick and and, and yeah. anticipated it and got himself back to juice but I'm not going to sit here today and and say oh yeah that particular stage I, I could see that Rafa was going to start making a comeback from it I just thought at that point he was he was surviving and just hoping hoping for, for want of a better word for a miracle which unbelievably unfolded yeah, and as we can see from this image here, I, I, the reason I actually stopped this image because, as you mentioned, that the first point, the drop shot, that was that you know I had to choose about twenty, if you like, from yep. this from this match, and that was up there at twenty one or twenty two from this game. But in the end, I decided to go for the the third break point. I, I've actually got this image on the screen as well of, of Rafa celebrating, and the reason I do it is I contrast it to some of the celebrations he had in the first couple of sets. You might say it's because he's rescued it much closer to the finish line for his opponent, but there was something from his celebrations that I thought, this isn't a tired Rafa now. This is somebody I remember, I think it was the end of the first set, but it could have been the end of the second, when he does the old bathroom break and does come out looking fresh and rejuvenated. 
um, as, as many players do, but but in particular that day, I just remember thinking how you know it looked like he'd had a shower almost and and come yeah. out fresh and not not the shower of sweat that he was uh, showing in the first set. Um, and and the celebrations I thought were interesting, and the communication, albeit like in a in a in a legal way, you know, just the looks yeah. and the stuff between him and Carlos, I thought was interesting throughout this third set, maybe more than at any other moment. There was one moment as well towards the end of the third set. I think Nadal is close to winning the third set. I think he's got a break point or two on the Medvedev serve, and he looks at, at Carlos and he's like, "What can I do?" And Carlos is just like, "Just just just chill. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming." And I thought that was an interesting passage, of course, which ended up leading to to, to Nadal winning the set. Did you think that at the time, or have you thought that again since? I, I feel like that was a pretty instinctive reaction from Rafa, to be honest, in terms of where he was yeah. in the match. I mean, that was just, do you know what? My back's right against the wall here, and I've got to survive. And 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 you know what? That's given me a chance. That's given me a lifeline here. And it's also what it has done is now forced Daniel to think about something that he has to lose. Because even at two sets to love, it's easy to kind of you know say on comms you know well they've got something to lose now and obviously we do say it because obviously if you go into a match whether you're the underdog or the favorite once you get to that stage you do have something to lose because from two sets to love up you, you feel like you shouldn't lose that match um much more at that point that got sort of ex exponentially harder in some ways for daniel maybe in rapper's mind because now he's had love 30 on my first get first service game of the third could really put me under pressure get away to a three love start hasn't been able to do it he's mm -hmm. now potentially not getting out of this game at three two with my serve um so suddenly you know he's really got something to lose and obviously once you're as you know like you are like raf and you've been in this competitive cauldron for as many times as he has the he senses that moment it's like hey there's a little there's going to be potentially a little bit of you know fragility down the other he's never won the australian open he has won a major but he's never won this tournament and mm -hmm. i have and and those kind of things just started percolating and they were sort of like just under the surface there that, that as you say with this reaction you can argue that that was it but obviously I do feel as though one of the points you made, Daniel did start playing a little bit more inside the baseline because Rafa dropped the length on his slice backhand. Mm -hmm. It was a bit deep for a part of it. So he ended up, Daniel doesn't do badly at the net. He's he's competent, but he would never go down at the moment as a great volume. But he's not so, he likes to attack the net rather than defend it. He's Go not going to come in on a pair of twos. And and by by dropping the ball short and forcing him with his flat shots to take pace off to make that shot and potentially come in or hit and scramble back, which you do. And then obviously if you can hit him with a very hard shot after that, he's much more off balance. You may not win it with that point, but you're going to soften him up. And I think as the match went on, Rafa did start hitting the ball uh, a little bit shorter with the slice, then hitting his two-hander much harder um, and then he ended up finding a way that he could just unsettle Medvedev a little bit. And then we got, obviously, the physical fatigue. But it was the backhand down the line at four all pass in the third that was, was again, was just, it, it was insane. I mean, it was just, you know, it was... Um, it was probably the shot at the time. There were many shots that you kind of look back on and there's obviously the forehand um, in the fifth set that he hits mm -hmm. that, that obviously everyone remembers and I remember, but, mm -hmm. but the backhand at four all to get the break was mm -hmm. exceptional. I'm glad you, you mentioned four. That's the next game I want to come to. And, and of course, Rafa's tennis deserves a lot of praise. Do we also think um, from the, the midpoint to then the end of the sec third set and maybe even for the rest of the match, we, we've touched on it already, and I've got an image on the screen right now where Medvedev is reacting to the crowd. I think he'd, he'd put a, yeah. a fairly easy shot into the net. 
um, uh, that maybe the two things are kind of potentially happening. First of all, maybe Medvedev's mind is becoming a bit affected or frazzled, depending on where you stand on that line. And then secondly, what are your thoughts on the crowd that day uh, in terms of the Medvedev relationship? Yeah, I mean, I, in my notes, I remember it being more about the start of the full set where I thought they're getting okay. under his skin here. Um, I'm, you're not wrong with the image that you've got. You know, there's definitely it, it, it's it's definitely the genesis of that kind of relationship that's starting to go a bit sour for Daniel in this match. Um, and obviously, that has been something he's worked incredibly hard off, and kudos to him as well. I mean, he's he's he knows that it's at times a bit of a weakness for him, and he's had his sports psychologist. It worked brilliantly in New York. He, he was in a in a great space um, from that point of view. So. You know, he's he knows as it's there, but then obviously also the other players know that potentially it can be there if you can hang around long enough. He could perhaps find something to feel a little negative about and take more of his emotional energy and his physical energy. And obviously that's going to affect you mentally as well. And I think that, you know, that those sort of things did happen. Do I do? Listen, I'm a big believer that, you know, you pay your money as a sports fan, you come in. Um, and if you want to cheer outrageously for for one player, you're kind of allowed to do it. And the players need to just be able to sort of block it out and get on. If it's if it's in stroke or if it's in the ball toss, it's obviously not right. But you know that, that's part of the thing. You know this is this is a gladiatorial battle, and 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 rapper over the last twenty years has earned the right to have the crowd right on his right on his side because he's come in, he's given a hundred percent to everything that he's ever done. He's he's behaved in a way that you know has just been uh, immaculate and he's given so much to the sport and and the one thing that, that that he gets given back in these great arenas is the support and you know Daniel's on his way to earning that and I bet you when he walks into Rod Laver Arena um, this year Daniel he's going to get an amazing amazing reception because everybody who has played sport or has just been in life knows how much that must have hurt for the last 12 months that he lost and people are going to appreciate the effort yeah. and the entertainment that he gave us for those five hours as well. Definitely. Uh, effort and entertainment, also a, a good words for Rafa. He does manage to win that set. And then there's an epic game, sort of midpoint of the fourth set, where uh, I, I think Rafa's on his seventh break point and he finally wins it with, with a, a really nice backhand pass. It's more guided than than struck with any venom, if you like. Uh, and, and just, you know, it's out of the reach of Medvedev, who's at the net. Um, I mean, now the tide is, if the tide was turning or there was a turning point perhaps at that Love 40 game, we're almost at 50-50 in the space of arguably half an hour. And I know the match is five and a half hours, but this was a huge moment. And then Rafa gets that break in the fourth set. And, you, you, you know, of course, things can still go wrong, but he's well on the way to winning it. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, the one narrative about this match that I think everyone is really sort of myopically focused on, and I understand it, is the 3-2 Love 40 situation. Rafa mm -hmm. found himself in the third set um, because that looks that looks like, a you know, a hole that you can't dig yourself out of. But, you know, we should always remember, we remember as well at the start of the fourth set, you know, and again, this is credit to Daniel. You know, he's he's just taken a bit of blow there, losing the third set. He's one love up in the in the fourth. 
he's actually got a great point that Rafa has to yeah. save at one love. Uh, Rafa nails, absolutely guns a forehand down the line to save the break point. You know, that's nothing that Daniel's done wrong. Rafa's just come up with an amazing shot that's been his trademark over the over the kind of course of, of, of his career. Um, then Rafa breaks to go 2-1. That's when I have in my notes that, that Daniel was kind of pretty more irritated with the crowd at that particular moment. Okay. Um, then obviously we had this fluctuations just prior to that point that you're getting to that, you know, obviously then there's a break back for Daniel. Then yeah. Rafa obviously goes to break he, he he has love 40 in that game in uh, that you're talking about and that was okay. a set that was his seventh break point mm -hmm. of the game when he comes up with that particular backhand pass i mean you know one thing about rafa that as well that that everyone probably doesn't talk about is in these moments and that's why carlos moya one of the greatest you know players that we've seen play this game um he he also just says there's nobody better than rafa in mid-match strategy he's able to find a solution the reason that he's been able to find a solution is because his game is so complete so complete i mean it's yeah. you know novak's is complete rogers is complete but and the same for for rafa and 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 you know in these big moments he's able to then beat daniel with his backhand in that game i mean the, the amount of winners he hit in that backhand i still you know backhand down the line to go love 40 absolutely crunches it that angle one that you're just talking about right there was just an exquisite shot yeah. um the forehand droppers that he was pulling in all of these things that he was able to do at that particular moment in the fourth set when he was still very much under pressure where there was just the early signs of some wear and tear in the in the Medvedev body were just incredible um they were absolutely incredible um you know so there were a load of big points as we went through that fourth set there were a couple of break points at 4-3 that Rafa has to save at that particular junction as well so you know there's 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 an awful lot that happened in that fourth set that I think people have come kind of passed over because of what happened at 3-2 in the third love 40. Yeah. Um, listen, I will just add one more thing and then we'll move on because we, we're going to get to the fifth set now. Yep. And that is just one more thing that I will say is that I know that Daniel felt a bit aggrieved at various points during the match, either from, from the crowd, but I think also with the umpire, I remember him telling the umpire to step up at one point. I think it was towards the end of the third set. Um, I also yep. remember as well, I think in the, in the, actually funny enough, I just saw it the other day. I don't remember. It's not true. I just saw it the other day when they're getting their trophies at the end and everyone clapping and, and saying, well done to the umpire as he gets his plate and Daniel keeps his hands behind his back. Now it's, it's a raw moment. So yeah. I, I, I have no problem with that. I remember his press conference afterwards. It's still very raw uh, and he's a competitor and, and that's just how it is. Listen, if you if you work in sport, you, you you kind of you kind of need it to burn. It needs to burn. Do you always act in the most uh, perfect way in those moments? Do you always choose the right words? Do you always? Absolutely not. I'm certainly not a perfect human being, and I wouldn't expect for somebody like Daniel to be the competitor that he is. That he's going to walk off a match which he feels he should have won in the final of a major, um, and 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 you know, in a situation that everything did eventually sort of turn against him in terms of the crowd and not see injustice in everything that's going on out there. I mean, I'm going to completely have compassion and empathy for Daniel in that moment. Um, you know, he's he's entitled to his opinion. Um, it was a tough situation that he found himself in. He will have earned that respect this year, I believe. We're going to be interested to see when we're in Melbourne how that turns out. But that's my sense that people are going to just hugely respect what he had done 12, 12 months previously. And I, and I hope he can forgive whatever injustice he feels was done to him and allow that 
like wave of love to kind of cascade over him so he can understand yeah. that people were just there because the moment became so massive because it was Rafa, somebody that they followed for 20 years and feel as though they have some kind of intimate emotional connection with. And it was nothing to do with him personally from that point of view but does he you know I I I, I totally they, you know you go to an F1 team they have hot takes you know at the end like right at the end they'll sit down right after it where everything's fresh they'll say whatever's on their mind and they will just hammer everybody that didn't do their job you know and and because it's raw afterwards yeah. they'll go back they'll take 24 hours they go in and then they have a cold meeting and everyone in the cold light of day wants the emotions out of it go, well, actually, when you did that, it wasn't as bad as I thought at the time. It just felt like it at the moment. And that's what happens for tennis players a lot of the time. You know, obviously, right at the back end of it, where you want to get out of the arena, you don't want to spend two hours cooling down thinking about what you want to say. You just want to leave because it burns too much. It was understandable. Yeah. The consensus, I think, for most people going into the match was that, that Daniel was the slight favourite. I think, at, of course, at Love 40, that, that juncture that we, we, we've we mentioned about 10 times already, we may mention it again. Yeah. Um, uh, the consensus was more than a consensus by then. I just think you'd have had to be pretty crazy to think Rafa would win at that juncture. However, we're now, you know, you said at the time, as, as the classic phrase that I think many of us would have, would have been saying in our minds, you know, into a fifth we go. Who was your favorite at this point? Because for me, actually, it was 50-50. I think that when I was looking at social media and listening to people, et cetera, and, and, and I think it felt as though some people were saying Rafa's experience and Rafa's momentum, but maybe there's still an element of the younger player might be fresher. And what were your thoughts? Was it 50-50 or were you erring one side or the other? I mean, I think history was still not on Rafa's side at this stage of coming back from two sets to love down in a major final and going on to win it. Um, mm -hmm. And and he's still heading into this kind of extra territory of overtime with his body and his foot and all of the things that we weren't sure that he'd been able to be able to take care of coming down to Melbourne to put himself in a situation where he may have to play five or six hour matches back to back. Um, so, yeah, still still very unknown, which is what was the beauty of it. You know, the, the most, you know, the, the greatest sport is is when the outcome is is unknown. And at this stage, it was very much unknown. It was very 50-50 at that particular stage um, yeah. in terms of how we all felt. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they, I think they exchanged serves uh, a couple of times. I think it's two all um, at this point. Yep. And then, then this happens. And then this happens. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this was just immense. I mean, it was just completely immense. It was mayhem. It was just, if that... I don't know what your trademark shot for Rafa is over the years, but for me, it's his forehand down the line and, and his ability when he's when he's feeling it. It's it's just been one of the most magnificent shots the game has, has ever seen. And, and to have gone through all of that he had done in terms of the ordeal of this match and trying to find a way to, to force himself to be in front for the very first time in the contest, to be able to come up with that shot and land it at that particular moment. Um, yeah, it was just it was just out of this world. I think I said something like it's the best shot he's ever hit. I'm sure many Rafa fans around the world will, will disagree with that. And there'll be many from Roland Garros they'll be pulling up as examples of better shots. But at that moment, with a second Australian open on the line, having been up a break against Roger, the loss against Stan with the back and and all of the things that he wanted to achieve in Melbourne perhaps having had slipped away to potentially being back on offer again and he needed to make it happen that forehand was just unbelievable you're in the commentary booth but 
do you still get a sense of the occasion and also the crowd and, and the, 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 the situation? Do you realize that you're, I think it's impossible to rank matches because we'll all have our favorites. Yeah. And, and we also know that there were maybe dips in, in quality from both players at one point or another. But by now, do you realize that whatever happens, but particularly, of course, if Rafa does go on to win his 21st major, you are witnessing an absolute all-time classic. Whether you put it top, whether you put it 10th, whether you put it 20th or wherever on your list, it's in that conversation of all-time classics. And also within the atmosphere, what was it like? I mean... Did it feel different? It was the was best. It, yeah, it was the best. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm from I'm from Britain, so Andy, obviously, winning at Wimbledon and being here has been has been amazing to be a part of in terms of you know being in the crowd, watching, and everything else. But I, I was trying to think about it when you asked me to come on the show to sort of talk about sort of massive matches. Obviously, Andy winning 2012 against Novak for his first one was was uh, yeah was was a was probably the career defining sort of moment for me in terms of commentary in terms of um andy being able to do that after what he'd been through in terms of the finals before but if i'm uh, i'm honest I, I i i never really felt like there was a huge dip in this match you know that's the thing i mean okay. I, I i i never really felt that the the tension ever left it whether some of the tennis for some people wasn't as good as they would have liked it to have been i don't know but for me the consistency of the tension all the way through as we've been going through the match i'm sort of picking it apart and hopefully highlighting how many other difficult moments daniel gave to nadal to have to overcome this wasn't just the one big moment in the third set this was a whole bunch of things that just kept rolling one after another into you know, a, a crescendo that suddenly looked as though maybe it was going to slip away from Rafa. After he hits that forehand, now you feel like this this is going to have to, this is this is it. He's going to roll. It wasn't the next game. He still had to save three break points straight away. I mean, yeah. it, it just never, ever left us the fact that anything could have happened. If we thought it might be leaving us at 30 love when he's serving for the match, yeah. Well, well, we were very wrong again for the hundredth time that particular day because at 30 love, of course, I think there's a double fault at 30-15. There's an extremely nervous backhand that he puts into the net. This is obviously when he's serving for yep. his 21st title. And yeah, and you're thinking... He looks this... weary on the backhand. I mean, he looked tired yeah, he on does. the backhand. It looked... It looked like everything had suddenly sort of caught up with him. All everything that he had invested in it suddenly thirty love two points from it. Everyone's like, "This is it. We've we're we're ready to we're ready to rock and roll for Rafa uh, at this stage." You know, nothing against Daniel, but this is just this is just one of those moments in a in a champion's career that's just going to be remembered forever. And then suddenly it slips away, and you're like, "Okay, that that was the part that no one saw coming," which is why I say. In this match, I, I at no stage did I ever feel like, you know, we were we were sure of where it was. Even at these moments where we kept thinking like Daniel's done it in the third, Rafa's got it at thirty love. The 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 sort of the break points that he had to save after three two in the fifth was just a constant reminder to us. Hey, listen, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. This is never going to be done until the final points won. And the crowd, you talked about the crowd in your previous question. I mean, I so invested all the time i mean all the way through rarely an empty seat over for five hours it, that, it sounds silly but you know at times in even major finals when it's going on that long people going out i mean just packed rammed um and and everybody on the edge of their seat i mean it was it was mayhem it was a cacophony of noise it was a kaleidoscope in front of us in terms of the two players and then it was pin drop quiet 
And I mean, that contrast that you get towards the conclusion of a, any any match, but a championship match is something you don't get that 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 often. Yeah. And well, I mentioned Echoes before, Echoes of 2012, Echoes of 2017, yeah. a breakup in those two finals doesn't manage to, to, to seal it, if you like. Uh, it's happened again, and this time even worse because he's actually serving for it. Then we come to the 11th game. So it's five all. It's on Medvedev's serve. And we've got another bit of classic commentary for me as well, uh, where it's like, what a return patch. What a return patch. And, and, and I'm going to mention this is the return he, he gets in there. Yep. He just gets a racket on it. It's actually also got echoes of those two finals because in the crucial moments at the right at the end, I think it's when Novak is serving for it in 2012 at match point, when uh, Federer is serving for it at match point as well. Very similar serve down the tee that Rafa just gets a, rack, a racket on. The difference between 2012 and 2017 and 2022 is there's depth this time on the return. And it's also Medvedev making an unforced error as opposed to a winner from Djokovic and um, and from uh, and from Federer in 2017. Yeah. I mean, he says, "What a return, Petch! What a return!" And I think coming up as well, I'm not, I think it might have been a mid, might have been actually after the match when you said, "What a night! What a morning!" And there's also an image <laughs> of Rafa at the end of the match as well when he says, "Good, thank you, everyone. It's been a good evening or good evening." Then he goes, "Hang on, uh, good morning, actually." Um, I mean, that's another thing. I'm sure time, did, did time fly by as well? You didn't even realize it was sort of, was it two in the morning when it finished? Yeah, it, it flew by. We just, we didn't know. Yeah, I mean, we didn't care either. I mean, it wasn't just <laughs> no. a question of not, not knowing. We just didn't care. Just didn't care what the, what the time was. And, and, and you're right. I remember Brad saying, what a return, what a return. Didn't look like much to everybody else, but because, you know, Daniel doesn't come up with the goods after it, but it was just an incredible dig from Rafa. And as you say, just just the sort of tapestry of Rafa's sort of career at, at Melbourne as well, the breakup against Roger, the missed backhand against Novak in that final where yeah. it would have put him up a break. Yeah, and so, you know, just the, in the back of his mind that he could have been having all those thoughts about things that, that obviously had gone wrong in the previous ones and, and he's got to try and put it right. And and the return was an amazing dig. I still remember the the point though. If people are watching this and want to go back and and watch this match, fifth five all thirty fifteen, just to stay in the game, Rafa comes up with a little no look flick backhand across yeah. the panel, and then yeah. go watch the replay, and you can see he's given him the no look. Doesn't win that point. Probably doesn't win the game. You know, to go six five up, and then obviously yeah. uh, the ability to serve it out. So again, from all of you know, there were so many. Big points, you know, talk about winning the right points. But I mean, how many right points do you have to win to win a major championship? And there were just so many in there that obviously we get fixated a little bit on break points, game points and all of that. But that point there at 5 or 15, 30, that ability to run up and have the skill set just to flick it with the no look across the face of Daniel was exceptional from Rafa. And and, and arguably at that stage, more important than, than maybe the return of serve. Yeah. So Rafa breaks... This time, he has a second opportunity, a second bite of the cherry to serve it out. Um, this time, Rafa's clutch. In fact, he gets his third ace, just his third ace of the match yeah. uh, uh, at 30 love to make it 40 love and obviously give him three match points. It's a bit better cushion compared to what happened before at 30 love when he comes back to 30 15. And, and like I say, you come out with this incredible expression. It's the miracle in Melbourne, uh, which is complete. And in this image here, I've got an image of the, even the ball kid can't believe it uh, behind Rafa. Yeah. Rafa can't believe it. No one can really quite believe what they've it's seen. It's a great shot you pulled up there. I looked at it the other day. It's amazing. Yeah. 
even the ball kid because can't believe it and i and i love that um so yep. mark i mean it's now the end of the match we've seen what we've seen we almost can't believe what we've seen within with our eyes up after almost five and a half hours it's the miracle in Melbourne, as you described it. I mean, where does it rank for you in terms of all-time great matches? Is it up there at the near the top? And also in terms of Rafa's legacy, what does this match mean? Oh, it's a big question. Um, I mean, for him, obviously, that's that that will be for him to to answer. And I would think, I think the the magnitude of this match will probably be bigger for him in five to ten years after he's finished. I would. Uh, that's a guess on my part i think it will be interesting to see how he sees it obviously players see their own careers through you know a you know a soft nostalgic lens as as it goes by some of the losses probably don't feel as bad and some of the wins feel even more sort of um memorable as as, as times change i think their thoughts will change but um for his legacy, I think it was big in terms of just, you know, being able to win both slams. I mean, sorry, all four slams twice. I think that was something that obviously was something that was dear to him and it was something that he would, would love to do and, and and had a chances to do. And having had chances would be obviously disappointed that he couldn't convert those ones. So to come back, I think will feel in, a, in, in time even sweeter. Um, obviously, he'll have matches where he feels as though he played better um and 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 won but there'll be some matches where he played great and still lost you know against people like novak and, and things like that so I, I i he didn't really need it to cement his legacy for it for, for us and his fans but i think he would have wanted it for himself i think the desire was so huge and to to also as you said right at the start you know coming back from where he was in washington where you know there was there was definitely a chance that that could have been it um, yeah. for him um, in the way that he talked to come back and then climb the summit of another major um, whilst still in amongst this great race with, you know, his three other rivals at that stage, obviously not the case with Roger now, mm -hmm. just, just added to, to, to everything because it was so unexpected. And, and that's what all of the great sports people, not just in tennis, but across across all sports, give us. They give us these moments where you just think, wow, that was impossible, but not for them. Yeah, the miracle in Melbourne. Uh, I, I think one thing that I would probably add to it is I think it was very interesting what Federer said uh, recently upon retirement that, you know, people asked him or someone asked him about, you know, having led the slam race and then obviously not leading it at, at this juncture. Um, you know, how did that feel? And, and, and he said, look, but I, but I was leading it for eight years. Many people didn't yeah. think that, 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 that Sampras's record would ever be broken. Or I just think that for Rafa, and at least for his fans anyway, I think the fact that he's led the race, and, and I'm sure there might be one or two more twists and turns in the race. And for many, maybe Novak is still the favourite and understandably so. Um, but, you know, when you break a record, uh, uh, the 100-meter world record, it's amazing. You've run the fastest yeah. that humans ever run. Someone probably at some point will break that. Um, and and someone will break. If Novak gets to 25 and ends up winning the slam race, quite possibly one day, it might not happen in our lifetimes, but one day somebody will break that too, despite it being as important. I think Rafa's record at the French Open maybe never will be broken. And, and yeah. I think there's a strong... But I think even if Novak gets to 23, 24, 25... You know, there's, there's, it's, it is possible, and it might not happen in our lifetimes. I just think that for Rafa to have led the race for a, a period of time, whether it be a year, eighteen months, or or longer, I, I think will will just sort of add to it. But as you say, for 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 the rest of us, I think, um, I think his legacy is pretty secure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, about it, for all the, you know, for all the chat about the greatest, and it, it comes, you know, for for all the numbers game that you want to play and. 
you know, consecutive weeks at number one and majors, all of that stuff. You know what? It all comes down to how somebody made you feel. Did they did they make you want to buy a ticket to come and watch them? Did they make you want to invest your time um, in in watching them? Did they make you want to understand more about this incredible sport that we all love? Did they did they make you want to pick up a racket and go and learn how to try and play the game? Did they? Did they, what did they make you feel? What did they make you feel at the end of the day? And and the numbers and the chat and the debate is, is all well and good, but it's kind of irrelevant because if that person gets 30 grand slams or 50 grand slams, but they left you stone cold and you were just like, well, they're just an amazing person, but it doesn't really make me feel like I want to invest my time or anything in it, then you're not going to, you're not going to, it, it doesn't do anything for the sport. So, you know, if they've done something and they leave the sport in a better place, that's all you can ask, whether that's four grand slams, whether that's yeah. no grand slams, it doesn't yeah. really, that if they've, if they have enhanced somebody's experience of tennis, then that for me is, is much more important than, than absolutely anything else that, that you could have done. And, and for, for Rafa, unquestionably, for his fans and for even casual fans, he's drawn them in and he's made people understand about this sport. And, you know, you can it's easy to go to Tiger about that with golf, but I'd go to Michael Johnson in the 400 metres. You know, I loved watching yeah. Michael Johnson run 400 metres. I don't watch it anymore. You know, not because they're not great athletes, not because they're, they're any worse than Michael Johnson, but he had something, you know, in the mid '90s that I just gravitated towards and was like, I, I, I want to see him run. I'll get up in the middle of the night, you know, um, and and watch him run. And 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 that to me is far more important than than the numbers ultimately. Yeah, I think Michael Johnson elevated his his domain and his sport, and and in a way that these three guys have in their all in their own particular way, and. Um... You know, it's just, it's just, just insane. Listen, yeah. Mark, thank you so much for your time for joining me for the miracle in Melbourne. I'm, I think it's going to have to be the title for this video. And um, yeah, many people will be watching this uh, in November, December. Hopefully, it keeps them warm through those winter months uh, as we head into the new year. And just want to say once more, thanks for your time, Mark. Thank you very much. It's been great to be on, and thanks for all your support of tennis and and everything that you're doing as well. It's it's important. Yeah, and I'm, um, maybe one day our paths will cross. Uh, I'm sure. Sport. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.